Hello. We are back. Woohoo. Welcome to Refigure, the podcast about arts, tech, diversity and culture. With me, Reefa. And me, Christopher. Just buzzed the mic. I said Christopher so loud. And me, Christopher. I am going to talk about all kinds of things, including Hustlers, the movie. We're going to talk about some art that we've seen recently. William Blake at the Tate. This is season three of Refigure, which is quite exciting. We've made it to a third season. We're going to be here with you every week uh, up until Christmas. So that's fab. And I wanted to subtitle this season, although I haven't run this by you at all yet, Reefer, something like The Loose Season, because I'm planning to make it a bit... Well, not planning. I'm planning to not plan. I just want it to be a bit loose and more fun. Hang on a minute. It's going to be looser than it already is. Yeah, that's the plan. Fabulous. Do you not approve? I don't know. I think we need more sound effects. (laughs) Not those sort of sound effects, like trumpets and stuff. Anyway, I don't even know what I mean. I like the crackles and pops. Right, what have you been up to then, Chris? Tell us all about it. Well, we went to Tate Britain for the major new William Blake retrospective, which runs right through the rest of the year and on into next year. It's a huge exhibition documenting the entire life and career of the visionary English artist, writer and printer and innovator kind of think of him as kind of a godfather of the maker and the comic book illustrator as well you know just like a polymath but also kind of visionary psychedelic eccentric English crazy bloke you can probably tell from the subtext of the way I'm introing it that I absolutely loved it and I did I was bewitched by it I'm already a big William Blake fan Reefa, what did you think of Well, two things, really. What did you think of William Blake, but also what did you think of the exhibition? I was going to ask you how you got into William Blake in the first place. I have loved William Blake for poetry, definitely, since I was a kid, because I was brought up on lots of poetry. You know, Jerusalem and Tiger and all that stuff. Tiger's like the sort of thing you read in school. No, not my school. Oh, well, I I definitely read Tiger, either at school or sixth form, I would have read it. Um... When I started to get my head around psychedelics and the kind of... Mystical stuff. Yeah, like people like Aldous Huxley, for example. All of Huxley's work is very inspired by William Blake. Well, and I he never... And he sort of nicks all his poems to the titles. Like The Doors of Perception, which right. is a Huxley title, is a William Blake quote. There's loads no of that, idea. by the way. You wouldn't believe the number of sort of things that are in common parlance now that trace back to William Blake. It's amazing. See, that's why listeners may not know that I didn't grow up in an English household. <laughs> so therefore, there are things, there are gaps in my knowledge, and that mean because a lot of the stuff that I chose to learn outside of school really taught myself about art and poetry and culture were things that I enjoyed looking at or thinking about, like Dali or the Surrealists or whatever. So 
William Blake really wasn't on my radar and I don't know any rugby players so I don't know the lyrics to Jerusalem <laughs> so I didn't know that that was even a William Blake thing but then when you listen to it and see his work you understand how deeply rooted it is in nature English countryside and English mysticism and I was struck by quite a lot of the paintings are very evocative of Indian gods and goddesses the way that they're depicted on a blank piece of paper the perspective that he uses is very illustrative probably in the very early days of illustration because I think no one was illustrating things unless they were doing it like a monk in a in a monastery (laughs) in a monastery illustrating the bible by hand you know that's the kind of illustrations I think of or tapestries or something I don't know it's really odd some of the work that he creates and the fact that he's working in watercolors which don't last if anybody knows you stick it under some light and it will fade very quickly so the fact that some of these paintings and the techniques that he invented that people still don't know how he managed to get them to look almost three-dimensional and using metallics and all kinds of weird stuff is mystical. The process is mystical in itself and they really do speak to you and they're really alive, a lot of them. The things that I was a bit disappointed with is that you've got an amazing... um, the copy that you've got looks like it's been a bit touched up compared to like the ones that I've found. The, illust- the actual illustrations are in the exhibition and they're all faded, but they're tiny and they've mounted them each page separately so that you can read each page, squint at them. And they've even got like a magnifying glass plate thing that you can <laughs> cart around with you to look at this stuff up close. But he's like drawing these tiny tiny little characters and tiny tiny little stories if you like and some of them are bizarre it's like looking at someone's diary or like if you've seen that the sketchbook of Frida Kahlo you know in the diary that she kept you know it's similar to some artist sketchbook some of the stuff that he's working with anyway I found it really interesting I like that they tried to explore his vision of creating work that was huge so that they blew it up outside the exhibition one of his pieces you can look at that on our instagram on the refigure uk i think it is instagram what did you think yeah i was blown away about 10 years ago i read peter Ackroyd's biography of of pete of william blake peter blake peter blake (laughs) (laughs) and loved it and loved him and i've been like, there is something about... Maybe that's why Blake Seven's called Blake Seven. There is something that's a bit, in some ways, annoying, which is the white male lonesome visionary artist who trollops around and no one appreciates them and they moan about it and they're convinced they're a genius and then 150 years later they are a genius and that's there is something about that that can be kind of just a kind of joke trope. But at the same time, there's also this feed right back through English history of visionary artists who blend mysticism with practical technique and then what Blake does that to me one of the reasons I love to continue to love him as an adult is he is like the uh, DIY artist like he's the guy that like learns all the techniques of printing and then uses those techniques and advances them in order to get out his own crazy visionary art and no one appreciates it and no one understands it but what he's doing is physically stuff that no one else could do 
anywhere in the world at that time. And in fact, as you said, he, we still don't know how he did some of these colour plates. He's doing it all in his own workshops. And he's obviously taking on commercial work. Like, people are getting him to print oh, yeah. stuff for them that he's not interested in. He's like a kind of designer and illustrator for hire. But at the same time, he's got this kind of radical, non-conformist... And as his life goes on, increasingly deranged, proper visionary spiritualism going on that is incredibly ahead of its time. Like, people think he's a Christian, but he's not. Um, He's one of those people who says just God is in everything. And he's got a very modern, actually, a very modern sense of spirituality and work ethic about him that I find really enticing. And, of course, it ties in with... It's the 20th century where he gets discovered. He's not like uh, Van Gogh where he he dies unknown, but within 20 or 30 years, everybody knows who he is and he's become famous quite soon after he died. With Blake, he dies at the very beginning of the 19th century and right through the 19th century, there's just a tiny clique of people keeping his memory alive. And then it's not until the kind of mid-20th century that really... It's almost like with the beat scene in in the United States with people like Allen Ginsberg and kind of 60s hippiedom. And then, as I was saying a minute ago, acid, psychedelic philosophy, stuff like that, that he becomes the thing that he is now, which is this incredibly embedded in our culture. You know, we're like a few days after we went to the exhibition, we look at the last night of the problems where they are. Exactly as you say, there's kind of this very kind of faux, patriotic, weird singing of Jerusalem when if you dig into the words it's so weird that that would be an anthem a rugby player's anthem for us and that's what uh, Frank Cottrell Boyce and Danny Boyle turned into the opening ceremony of the Olympics it's a monumental exhibition it's huge it's exhausting and you have to go with an appetite for it because as you said they're so small and there's loads of them we got the very best of it because when we went it was a preview and there weren't that many people there and I do worry it's an exhibition you really have to engage with lots of finely detailed pieces and if you're doing that when there's thousands of annoying British people there wandering around going oh what the fuck is this it may not be a really enriching experience but for us it it was it's just it's a huge wonderful splodgy clever exhibition i have two things to say yeah yeah also i need to shut the window because people are just screaming like banshees outside (laughs) shut up idiots two things you fucking thieving don't you know we're talking about william blake shush as soon as the mic goes on you're a right idiot Two things. One is, now full on them both. One is, when I first met you, Chris, and you started banging on about folk music to me, I realised, of course, the rebellious nature of the British people is sort of like split down the middle. There's like a very strong tradition of people taking one side or the other it goes back to the civil war it goes back to probably romans i don't know you've got to pick a side it's very english and uprisings and rebellions talking about people are not machines we need to treat people everybody's got the spirit in them and and life but it's just an interesting thing for me that i didn't really comprehend because i often think of as a lot of us do that we invented rebellion and that old people with white hair and long white beards are going to be conservative naturally. Whereas you introduced me to Quakers and people who've been anti-war and 
pro-green for decades and nature being important and there's sort of magic in the land and like there are pockets of that all around the country and the other thing I was going to say was that rebellion and being proud of being English and proud of being the folk tradition and the traditions of like sounds like it's going to be really xenophobic but it's not it's like no you know people who like waving the flag are not the same people that are patriotic and rebellious about the land itself you know Anyway, we'll talk about the raising of the North another time. But what I was going to say as well was that the whole thing about Jerusalem, people being patriotic in that sense, you know, that it's not churchy and and monarchy and empire. It's about England itself. That's my spit on Blake. Where can people see the William Blake, Chris? So the William William Blake is on at Tate Britain and it's on for quite a few months I don't know the end date but it's right into next year I think it's February 2020 I know we bang on about the Tate a lot but I really think it's fun to to follow their Instagram their social media is Brill Um, it really engages me and, and has brought in probably loads of people to see all kinds of interesting stuff but at the moment they've got something on the Blake and it's um or the Blakey, as I call it. They've animated a couple of the pieces, which I thought was quite nice. That sounds great. I don't need to do a funny voice. Oh, you did a funny voice. I didn't. Okay. So I'll talk. So also, tonight, Reefa went to see Hustlers. Is it called Hustlers? Yes, and guess what? I didn't know nothing about this film, but before I went to see it. Awesome, that's the best way to see a film. Chris said, it's a bit like Widows. It's not. That's because I got the wrong film. I thought you were going to see something else. <laughs> <laughs> it was a totally different film, is a bit like Widows. Oh, no, I did too. Because that was the different act. I thought I was going to see the remake. They've rebooted some sort of gangster film. Anyway... When I was a kid, I always wanted to work with animals. <laughs> I was close. Shake a little ass, you get a little bag. These Wall Street guys. You see what they did to this country? They stole from everybody. Hardworking people lost everything. And not one of these douchebags went to jail. The game is rigged, and it does not reward people who play by the rules. But it's like robbing a bank, except you get the keys. Are you in? So. It's based on a true story. It's a film about the friendship between two women who happen to be strippers. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is J-Lo. One of them is Jennifer Lopez. And the other one is Constance Wu, who is the lead in Crazy Rich Asians. And it's the stories of all these different strippers who work in a club together. And one is desperate for money, she's a bit younger, and J-Lo plays this kind of mother, older sister character who helps this younger woman. And at the beginning, the first half of the film is basically lots of strippers doing stripper things that strippers do in strip clubs where the men are absolutely minted, and it's before the stock crash happens in 2008. Oh, right. Yeah. So then they decide to find other ways of making money, and it all gets a bit... Um, gross and you get to see this real friendship developing with between these women but it also cuts to the future where one of them is telling their story to a journalist so it's really fun 
you see a lot of women doing amazing stuff on poles, pole dancing in amazing shoes and in their underwear. And it's ridiculous, the stuff that J-Lo does. I mean, you see her doing it and she's, I don't know if she's doing all her own stunts, but certainly it's an impressive um, activity she's engaged in at the beginning. She did do all her own stunts. Did she? She's fantastic. She's well over 50 and she was brilliant in it. And they do a lot of close-ups and her makeup and her face and her skin and everything. I'm sure she's had a bit of work done, but she was brilliant. She had a bit of work done, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't I don't matter, know. Does it? it doesn't matter. She's brilliant. And there are lots and lots of brilliant girl power women were dressed to kill slow-mo is walking into clubs right so there's a lot of that and there's a hilarious i literally screamed with laughter in this pretty much empty cinema when there's a cameo of someone playing himself but i won't spoil it for you if you go and see it and he walks into the club and all the women get on the stage and it's hilarious it is brilliant and of course the only thing i actually heard about this film I didn't even really know it was about strippers for some reason. I thought it was about gambling because it's called Hustlers, right? I was like, oh, I really wasn't expected to see this much flesh on the screen. And my friend, Natalie Burns, wanted to sit right up at the front. She was like, she was like, we need to sit at the front. I was like, okay, we'll sit at the front. And like, I'm like gazing up at um, J-Lo's legs. Um, that's fine. So, um, what's I going to say? It is really random, honestly. He turns out. <laughs> I it's just really know what funny. you were talking about now. It's Your just eyes really like all glazed funny. over. It was of, just uh... an ex- exciting film because the women are so glamorous in it and it's a real story and there are also really poignant acting in it as well. The acting's really good. Is there a thriller aspect to it because they're doing whatever they're doing? It's uh, got a more of a heist. Uh, yeah, so there is a heist aspect to it. Kind of. But is that mainly just to leverage the female friendship? Is it really yeah. a film about... Is it a buddy flick about female friendship? It's not a comedy at all. It's more... It's quite a serious drama, a lot of oh, it, actually. Okay. Um, and because it's based on a true story, it's about a story about female friendship and betrayal. That's what I think it is. Wow, sounds um, excellent. I don't know what Kermode said about it, but I'm saying that... Um, I've never seen this combination. What I was going to say was the only thing that I knew about the film was that Lizzo and Cardi B pop up at the beginning, but not to get excited about it because they have a very small part to play. But I saw more of Lizzo than I've ever seen before. And, and that's, that's saying a something. Lot. Yeah. You know, it's, it reminds me a bit of like the camaraderie that you get in um, Whip It, you know, that film, because... You, know, you expect them to be bitchy and catty, but they're not. However, money and drugs and kind of revenge tactics happen in it. And also, there's one charismatic character who's like the con, and she disarms people with charm and gets what she wants, but she's not really doing it. You know, she's always like that. That's the hustle. It just comes naturally to her. She's always getting her own way. And so bits of that, bits of that you see in um, Orange is the New Black, it's like playing up to that, that fact of, like, she's a hustler and, you know. I thoroughly recommend it. I would go with not your boyfriend or your husband or go on a date with someone or your mum or your dad or your granny. Don't go with them So it's a film for you, female Unless they're friends. quite progressive... But it might be, like, as awkward as, a, for some people, like, 
Take your best Beyonce friend. That's what I would take. So who would you take to a Beyonce concert would would really enjoy this film? And there are only two friends that I would do that with. And your bus broke down on the way. I know. It was shocking. It was raining and they had to stop the bus because the the windscreen wipers were not working. Oh, that's how it broke down, just because of the windscreen wipers. And it broke down outside the spire, which now I know where it is. Uh-huh. Is it time for what you're reading? It is. What are you reading for? 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 What are you reading, Chris? The main thing I'm reading this week is Gia Tolentino's phenomenal collection of essays, Trick Mirror. It's a new collection of essays, so they're not stuff that she had previously published. They're all written specifically for the book. Tolentino used to be the deputy editor of Jezebel, she's a writer for New Yorker, and she's got this incredible, well, she does two things at once, incredibly readable, edible, kind of immediate prose that's quite millennial as well, or even post-millennial maybe, because she's pretty young, Um, Gen Z maybe, prose, combined with just a pinpoint insight into what she's talking about the subtitle of the book is reflections on self-delusion and she's kind of utilizing different aspects of her own upbringing and adulthood to reflect on the state of the world sort of super articulate in a kind of very easy to read way and then absolutely spot on on modern life so that's trick mirror by gia tolentino i'm also going to recommend a very small cheap book if you are interested in the william blake exhibition that we were talking about it is worth getting john higgs little book william blake now why he matters more than ever and john higgs is just making the argument really clearly for blake's relevance now in the 21st century he's not falling for that trick of going oh he was psychedelic and visionary and so he influenced the 1960s and so that's why he's relevant Higgs realizes that that time is the distant past as well and he really talks about right now and what he means what some of the ideas that Blake pioneered and just espoused means for Englishness oh and just humanness humanity (laughs) in today's world and it's a terrific book partly because it does a really good job of unlocking the Blake But then his conclusion, his reasons at the end, which I won't spoil, but he's got a kind of proper conclusion that says, right, here you go, this is why it's important. And I went, oh, fuck me, this is why it's important. Go on, you have to tell me now, because I'm not going to read that. Oh, you should read it. You should read it. It's really good. It's like, it's 60 pages or 70 pages or something. I'm not going to tell you. Fine. (laughs) I'm reading a couple of things. I'm going to talk about, I bought poetry. I feel like I'm getting deja vu. I hope I haven't talked about this before. You haven't talked about that. Poetry before. Review is a publication that's been going for a gazillion years. The Poetry Society's publication, as well as poems, they have essays. And I'm going to try and find the bloody essay I was reading. Here we go. So they got this brilliant essay by Natalia Anderson and it's called The Girl in the Show and it starts off, I mean this is the reason I bought the whole bloody thing which was like 10 quid Um, (laughs) since the 1950s female comedians have talked about the domestic you know like what it's like to be a woman and those domestic duties and that parallels with poetry and she talks about Lucille Ball in the 1950s 
Lucia Ball was never credited as an official writer in any of her series, even though um, she was not only the co-creator and executive producer of many of her shows, she over, oversaw every detail of every episode. Very Beyonce-like, I feel. And then she talks about Plath, brings it up to the modern day with people like Kitty Wong talking about being pregnant. And I just thought it was a brilliant article because I hadn't really put those two things together, like the poet poems, the women's poetry, even Kate Bush's album about washing machines, songs about washing machines. Like people, great writers write about what they know. And so sometimes the domestic life is what they draw on for their creativity. Before, it wasn't seen as important. Women's voices and women's lives were not important. They weren't worthy. Their craft and their their um, their work is definitely rooted in the mundane. Bear with Mr Chris. And then there's this is a brilliant poem by this woman called Mary Jean Chan. Oh, it's just so good. It's about learning to fence when she was a kid, putting on the uniform and having like to learn the strategy of fencing. And then she likens that to coming out yeah. and becoming a great lover like uh, she says French or pistol grip one offers stability the other more room for surprise before I came out to the world I asked myself French or pistol grip now you say you're a great lover thanks to hard work on point control it's a bit rude (laughs) how two fingers manoeuvre the blades tip a flurry of sickle moons it's pretty cool isn't it Yes, very good. Anyway. You said you'd do more than one. Oh, did I? Yes, you did. Just cut that bit out. All right. Do you want me to leave in oh, the actually, sexy like, poem that you read? Just It was just the last verse of it. It's a little bit of sauce pop. Your contribution this week has been full of female allure. Oops. Obs. Oops. Oops. The end. Well, that was a funny first episode back. We'll get in the swing of it, I'm sure. No, you're going to just make it sound good. I'm going to try. Loose, don't you? Loose. Oh, yeah, it's going to be loose. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash refigurepod. Or you can find us on Twitter, which is at refigurepod. Or you can find us on Insta, which is refigureuk. It'd be lovely to see you there. Come say hello. Um and like and subscribe like and subscribe and give us a lovely review thank you to everybody who's given reviews so far it's dead good talk to you next week goodbye goodbye